Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What is up, BBN? Welcome in, welcome in. We up in here for another episode of the Believe in Kentucky podcast alongside the UK legend, the 96 champ, Tony Delp. This is Vinny Hardy. TD, how you doing, man? V, man, I am happy on this kind of sprinkly Friday in ATL, but uh, hey, man, I'm blessed. I I can't complain. That's it, man. Everything has been put into perspective lately. If it hadn't been already, it definitely is now. So count our blessings every chance we get. Yeah, this has been a this has been a crazy 2020, man. And we're not we're well we're trying to complete this halfway point and you know, we're taking it one day at a time and kind of find out, you know, if there's gonna be a NFL, a, a college season, an NBA season, uh seem like Seem like Major League Baseball, you know, they have a constructive plan, you know, the 60 games. So I'm excited about just getting some kind of sports on TV. But, um, you know, as, as excited as I am, you know, I don't really want anyone to, you know, be at risk. But uh, at some point in time, this country, you know, will have to see some kind of sport at some point in time. That's it. And I, I know you just ecstatic about the baseball. You talked about how your dad used to watch it. <laughs> I know you can't wait to just see MLB <laughs> on your TV every night. <laughs> hey man, when I when I watched baseball growing up, most of the time I was I was trying to, you know, talk my dad into changing the channel. But he was such a huge Braves fan, and and at the time we had three TVs, so my dad occupied one watching the Braves. My mom watched Bonanza on the other TV, and then I had my brother on the other TV watching Welcome Back Carter. So I was left either to watch Welcome Back Carter, uh, what my mom was watching, which was usually Western, Bonanza, Gunsmoke, and then it was baseball. So if I knew if I started watching baseball, then I was going to sleep. So I started going back and watching what my brother was watching, which was Welcome Back Carter, uh, which ended up being a, you know, a pretty fun show. It wasn't bad, but... When you don't have many options, man, and it, it made me, when I finally made it to the NBA and I was able to afford uh, some TVs, I think I put a TV in Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Just so you could, you could have your choice of whatever you wanted. <laughs> man, I can put, I can put, I can watch sports, I can watch movies. I was like, I would never be in a house where one person control all the TVs, or better yet, you know, if you have like four or five family members and every everyone can watch something and you don't have to be fixated on what one person wants to enjoy, is I want to have options. So that's how I was when I first got my uh, got my townhome. That, that's what I was thinking about. How can I just watch something 
and how can I have a house where if I invite people over and I don't want to watch someone else watch, I can go watch what I want to watch. But when you're when you're a young kid growing up in Brownsville, Tennessee, and you have a brother, a mom, and a dad that all control the TV, you know, I, hey man, I had to watch what they were watching. Exactly. Hey, we we chopping it up. We already rolling in this episode. As just a reminder, y'all can catch us anywhere you get your podcast: iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, Google Play, Spotify. Wherever you get them, we'll be there. Castbox FM. And if you're interested in advertising on the show, go to believe.com. B l e a v dot com. If you got a business or a product. Let them know what your idea is, and Tony and I would be happy to talk that up on each episode of the Believe in Kentucky podcast. Man, TD, I was listening to uh, to Tom Leach this morning on the radio. He's got his show every day, the Leach Report, every morning, and he'll close it out with you know some historical fact that's UK-related or if it's a certain player's birthday or on this day, such and such committed to Kentucky, things of that nature. Well, today he closed right. it out saying that on this day, you and Walter McCarty were drafted in a, the D, was the DA? I think who the third one was. Y'all were drafted in the first round of the NBA draft. Oh, Antoine Walker. Day. Yeah, Antoine. This day was the day y'all were drafted. So what was, what was that day like for you? What was the weeks leading up to that for you, your workouts? What was all that like getting ready to you know. As as I reflect on you know so many years ago, man, I, I have to I have to go deep into my to my thought process. But um, we're really just working out for the different teams. Like I had a workout with the um, with the Lakers. I had one with Cleveland Cavaliers, and at the time I had two workouts with Charlotte Hornets. So the first workout I had with Charlotte Hornets, they didn't have a coach, so they was in the process of trying to hire a coach. And the second time I came back, I want to say. They had hired Dave Cowens, and he was a rookie. He was going to be a rookie coach that season. And if most of those people don't know, Dave Cowens, you know, played for uh, Boston Celtics back in the '60s. Was a remarkable player. I want to think he won the uh, MVP one of those years. And he um, and he came from Florida State, so kind of know a little bit about uh, Dave Cowens. Especially when I got there, I was like, who is this dude, man? Let me let me find out who this guy is. But um, and what usually happened, you know, they have a you get invited to the draft room, and at the time, they wanted me to play the pre-draft. So the pre-draft uh, takes place like it did, you know, years ago. It was taking place in Chicago, and my agent and I, we opted out of it. You know, it was like, hey, you know, I think we worked out for enough teams. And, you know, so they had me going in between. I think Sacramento was another team I worked out for. So Sacramento had, like, the ninth or tenth pick. And uh, so from nine to about 24, and I want to say the Lakers had to – 24th to 25th pick that year. So when it was leading up to it, um, I was I didn't get the invite, man. You know, it was like, well, hey, you know, everybody else had an invite except me, and I was I was cool with it. You know, at the end of the day, because I wanted to spend time and be with my mom and dad, who I who I knew wasn't going to travel anywhere past uh, the town that was 20, 20 minutes to 30 minutes away from me anyway. And uh, so I got a chance to be on my street, 418 Dodge Street. And, man, we had a – when I say, like, a block party, the, the street was blocked off. Uh, my friends, everybody was coming by, honking their horn, people stopping by the house. It was a celebration that 
a hometown player like myself needed, you know, was drafted to the NBA. So, you know, I, I took it in and I was just like, wow, man, my, my dream really has come true. But to have my brothers and sisters be there, my mom and dad, uh, my friends, man, it was really, you know, it, it was like we all made it. So that that particular week leading up to it and that night when I got drafted, because I remember, you know, Charlotte had two picks in, in the 96 draft. They had the 13th pick and had the 16th pick. So uh, Kobe Bryant went 13. So I was like, man, they drafted guard. So I was like, man. I know I'm not going there now, so I'm looking at the other team that I worked out for. I think the Lakers were the next team, and they were, like, at 20. And Cleveland at that time, Cleveland had uh, had just lost Brad Doherty and Hot Rod Williams. So they had to draft too big. So they drafted Vitaly, uh, I think Vitaly, Hotopinko, and uh, I think Agalskis. They drafted too big. So I kind of knew I was going to be out on them, but I had a – I had a killer workout for Cleveland Cavaliers, you know. And at that time, I want to say Czar was the coach for them. And he was like, Tony, we love you, man, but we can't draft a guard. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, uh, when the 16th pick rolled around and and, and when um, they called my name, I was like, are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> You know, I was like, I mean, I was ecstatic as, as, a, as a young man. But, you know, I was like, man, I'm, I made it. And uh, so when that, when that draft, they took place, you know, of course you always have nerves leading up to it because all of us, you know, unless you were like the number one or two guys that you knew you was going in the top five, for everyone else, like after 10, you know, it's, it's like almost drafting the best player, but also drafting a need. So what we see now in the modern day draft is you know, those guys try to go out and get the best talent. And if they get the best talent, you know, whether, you know, it's a trade piece, want to get the best player but if I was a GM you know I'm trying to help my coach and see what player fits into his system if it's a a solidified coach that I know is going to be there for a couple of years and if you if you're thinking about firing a coach in the next couple of months then you know you're going to draft a player that you think will help keep your job exactly were you were you cool with 16 were you a little have a chip on your shoulder or were you like yeah I'm, I'm all right going 16th or you wish you went higher what just hey man, I, I was kind of pissed, man. You know, I was mad. I'm gonna tell you, I was I was pissed because so many dang underclassmen came out. Like you had Iverson come out, Steph, who was a freshman, uh, he came out. Ray Allen left school early. Our, my own teammate Antoine put his name in the draft. You had uh, I'm trying to Kobe, the high school kid, came out. So we had about eight or nine guys. I think uh, Lorenzo Wright, he was an underclassman. We had about nine or ten underclassmen that came out that I was like, man, if these dudes hadn't come out, I would have been a lottery pick. Yeah. So, yes, I was pissed off. I was like, man, I can't believe all these underclassmen dudes. I had actually thought about coming out myself in 95, and it had me being like a uh, late first round, early second round pick. And I think the best decision I made was coming back and, you know, kind of helping my draft stock, but also winning the championship and playing with, you know, Antoine Walter, Derek, uh, Anthony Elves, man, we had Saron Mercer, uh, Jeff Shepard, Alan Edwards, Nazi, Wayne Turner. We had so many, Cameron Neal, uh, Oliver Simmons. There were so many good guys, man, that, you know, I wanted to come back and be a part of history. Yeah, I wanted to go and, and, and you know, test the waters. And, and, you know, I felt like at that time in 95, before the 96 season rolled around, I felt like in 95 I was ready, you know, because I was already competing against, like, 
know, Rex Chapman, when he would come back in the summer at the time, Keely Skywalker, uh, Sam Bowie, uh, Matt Ashburn, he would come back. And we had some other guys that were overseas. And, you know, when you can hold your own against, you know, players on that level, I think that's the indicator. Because how I try to tell my young kids, you know, my young kids and my EU team, is that, you know, there's not a lot of difference between a seventh and eighth grade kid. You know, it's only a few months and one grade. So if you're on the eighth grade level, and let's say you're a seventh grader and you play up, why would I want to play back down? Like, I don't understand that because as you get to high school or even college and even to the pros, you're going against older players at some point in time. So whether you try to keep your kid in the sixth grade playing against sixth grade or seventh grade playing against seventh grade, is that how much better is that going to get them? How are you really going to test your skill set if you don't go against older kids or older players? Exactly. As, um, you mentioned Antoine coming out. You know, he went top 10, I think number six overall. Was there a lot of trash talk between you and your boy, Walter McCarty, as to who would get selected first? No, you know, because Walter was my, I mean, that's my homie, you know, that, that was my roommate, you know, and for us, it was like, you know, win the championship, you know, all that hard work that we put in, you know, in those four years and to finally get a chance to cut down the nets and leave as a, as a national champion, you know, I mean, it was a, you know, I mean, that kind of, we were already close, but that brought us even closer, man, because when you have your roommate and somebody that you come to school with, we actually met at the Kentucky McDonald's Derby, I think it was Kentucky Derby Festival that happened in Louisville, and that was, that was a big game back, you know, back in, in, uh, in the mid-90s, and um, and I remember I was telling my monks back then, I think Capital Classic had a, they had another, there was another game that was next to the McDonald's All-American game, and I didn't want to go to the, I didn't want to go to the Kentucky Derby Festival, I was like, you know what, I'm going to be in Kentucky in a few months, and them fans going to see me play, so I, I was trying to get my mom to let me go to this other game, she was like, no, you signed to go to that Kentucky Derby Festival, and you're going. And V, when I tell you, man, I had the worst game of my high school career, it was that game. I think I went one for 10. I no, Matter of fact, I know I went one for 10. Uh, I think I might have finished with three points. So if you were a Kentucky faithful and you were a fan, you saw Tony Dell come into Kentucky and you saw that game, you'd be like, man, that guy is a bum. He's a bust. He's going to be a Kentucky bust. Because it was just like I had about five turnovers. I think my man, had a, the guy I was guarding, had a really good game. I couldn't make a shot to save my life. And I think mentally I had checked out because I didn't want to be there. You know what I'm saying? So it was like I'm here now, but really I don't want to be I wanted to go to this other game. And uh, so long story short, that's how Walter and I became friends. We actually were roommates at that at that event, and then we, of course, we became roommates at uh, University of Kentucky. And, you know, like I said, when that draft night came, man, I went, and then, you know, so now I'm anxious waiting on when Walter's going to get picked. And then he went, like, I think maybe 18 or 19. And then, so we still got Mark Pope. You know, Mark was our guy. We, we didn't forget about him. So I watched the whole draft, you know, until Mark got drafted. So we, we had a bond, man, and, and it was something that was special. And when you can actually go to college and all of you guys grind and no one had anything and all of us working for one common goal, you know, a couple common goals. One was, you know, of course, the national championship, you know, second one for me 
Well, actually, the first one to you know, get my college degree because that's one of the reasons I stayed back and wanted to complete my season in 96 was that I promised my mom I was going to get my college degree. So college degree, winning national championship and getting drafted, that was like the best year of my life. Other than maybe, I can't, you know, my kids might be listening to this, you know, other than having my, my daughters, 98, 2003, and 2006. So they're first, and then they win the championship. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. I will ask about a little bit about them here in just a second. But you mentioned playing at Kentucky in the summertime and, and, and coming back. Uh, UK just announced that June 28th, uh, the players can come in and kind of get things started for this upcoming season. When you were coming back each and every summer, you know, during your time at Kentucky, did you have a certain routine? Were you trying to work on different parts of your game? Was there certain things you wanted to do during the summer? Or just were you just all about playing as much pickup as possible? What was your approach coming back each year? My approach was, was probably just playing as much pickup as possible, you know, because I think, you know, a lot of people forget, you know, my freshman season wasn't a great season. You know, I had Dale Brown in front of me and – I was really considering transferring and going to another school just to get more playing time. And I, you know, like I said, it, it was, it was, it, it was a tough first season. And when you love something and you're not able to do it and, you know, of course I practice or whatever, but it wasn't the same as, you know, having 24,000 people, uh, a televised audience watch you and watch you perform. And I was just sitting on the bench. So, you know, I'm thinking in the back of my mind, maybe, Maybe the stage is too big for me, you know what I'm saying? So I started to question who I was. And I remember when that remember when that when that season ended, went to the final four, lost to the Fab Five, is that I think I might have went home for two or three days, you know, and I was like, I'm gonna go home, see mom and dad, say what's up to all the people in Brownsville, Tennessee, but I'm gonna be back. And I was coming back to be on the mission because it, it wasn't I felt like my game it was disrespected, you know what I'm saying? Like, man, I put too much work in for me not to have have gotten the, the proper playing time that I thought I deserved, you know what I'm saying? So, so yeah, I, I was ticked off, you know what I'm saying? When I came back, and it was good to have guys like Kenny, Rex, and and, uh, and Sam there, you know, to talk to me and and just keep me keep me on the right path, you know, to keep me focused and say, man, you know, we know what kind of player you are. It's your time to shine. This is your opportunity now. And when I got back, man, I, I didn't look back, you know. So it was about, you know, just whoever's in front of me, like, you know, it was business, you know what I'm saying? It was personal because of what, what happened my, my freshman season is that I wanted to prove that you didn't just bring me in as a McDonald's All-American and I was I was going to be a bust. Like you, like what you saw at the McDonald's Kentucky Derby game is not who I am. How I played my freshman season at Kentucky was not who I, who I was, you know. And I was – so I was, I was destined to prove to not only the people – uh, in Kentucky, but all the people around the country, you know, who voted me as one of the top players in the country. I'm like, dude, you know, I might have been, I might have had a bad season, but I'm not for, I'm not going to let y'all forget who I was. So when I came back my sophomore season, you know, it, it was personal. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. And you, you righted all those wrongs the rest of the career, man. You, you turned it all around and kept it turned. Yeah, it was it was it was good that you know when when you think back to you know how well you know or, or all the talent that we have, man, and just trying to, and I think that the transition from high school to college, you know, was that I always played with the ball in my hand, 
And when I got there as a freshman, you know, our team and our office would be Mashburn, which, you know, Mash was a great player. You know, no, no, I would never disrespect his game. But, you know, I felt my game was good, too. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, in, in the matter of one season, you know, I, you come back and I'm like, you know, I didn't I didn't get that – I didn't lose my edge coming in. I just wasn't getting the playing time. And, you know, then I had a guy in front of me that was – you know, he was good and, you know, he pushed me every day to make me a better player. But what I was, you know – I, I was I was hungry because I felt like I should have been playing. I should have been getting some quality time, some quality minutes, and I wasn't getting it. So, you know, of course, if you got any kind of chip on your shoulder or any kind of competitiveness, you know, you want to you wanna get out there and perform and show people, like, you know, what, what your game was about. And, you know, so I, I couldn't wait for Mash to leave. I was like, man, you know, I'm glad you're here, but, you know, when you leave, there's going to be more shots for me. And that's when I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm taking all the shots <laughs> that, that he uh, – <laughs> that, that that he took, I'm like, some of them shots will be mine when I get back. But, you know, I also worked a lot. I really worked on my game. And I, like I said, I spent a lot of time just being a gym rat, shooting, uh, asking questions, watching film, talking to coaches, kind of find out what do I have to do in order to, you know, get on the court and stay on the court. Because a lot of times, you know, I, I think, you know, kids, you know, and, you know, as men, we have egos, you know, and, my ego was kind of shattered a little bit because, you know, when you think about you and McDonald's All-American and you, I'm watching my peers play at all these other universities and I'm sitting on the bench. I'm like, man, I know I'm better than him. Why am I not playing? Oh, he's playing. You know, he's the best freshman in the class. I'm like, man, I, you know, I want them to call my name. So I missed out on that. But I think what it did for me, it, it made me much better because there was nowhere for me to go. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll circle back to that too. Um, I guess in in UK news, not much going on basketball wise, of course, on the court. But former player in the news, Willie Colley Stein, uh, announced that you know him and his girlfriend are expecting their first child next month, and so he's mm-hmm. not going to go to Orlando and go down there in the bubble. Play the bubble. Yeah, once you go, you can't come back. So he's just gonna, you know, he's not gonna finish out the rest of the season with the he's with the Mavericks now. Uh, you have three daughters. Were any of them born during the season, and did you have to work it out to miss some games to be there when they were born, or what was that with your three? Yeah, um, they were. It was like you know, I have I have a January baby. I have a uh, September baby, which was fine. And then I have a November baby. So September baby was fine. That's my oldest, Taylor. But the November baby, I was actually playing with the Boston Celtics. And um, the lady I dated at the time, she lived in Dallas. So I had to fly from Dallas, from Boston to Dallas. And I stayed there for about four or five days. I missed some games and uh, flew back. And it was it was ironic that the next, the very next year, I got traded to Dallas. So I'm there. Yeah, it's crazy. I'm telling you, it's, it was it was so crazy that I got traded to to where my second child was conceived. And uh, but uh, my my middle my youngest daughter, I was I think I was in I was in Atlanta, and I just got traded. Not traded. I, I got uh, Atlanta bought me out, and I signed with Detroit. So I was the in between the Hawks and the, and the Detroit Pistons when she was born. So I didn't have to really miss a whole lot because I was already here in Atlanta and she was with me. But um, it's funny, though, man, like, you know, when you 
that that first one, you definitely want to be there for that first one, man. And I can understand Willie Collie son. I think he also has the sickle cell trait. And I don't know, you know, with this COVID-19, I don't know many people who have gotten it who have sickle cell trait. And I, and I care. I'm a trait carrier myself and my two daughters. Uh, Taylor and uh, Trinity both are sickle cell. They have sickle cell disease. So a lot of the stuff I've done over the years for, you know, for the Sickle Cell Foundation and for different causes, you know, I always try to give money back to, uh, like even what I'm doing now, the 15% of my wine sales are going back to uh, Kentucky Children's Hospital. So I'm always going to give and do things for for children, especially with uh, with my kids, you know, having you know, being, uh, being diagnosed with sickle cell disease and, you know, having spent so much time in children's hospitals. So that's something that's always going to be near and dear to my heart when it comes to giving back and helping kids. Absolutely. A lot of things got, you know, put on hold and stopped and shut down with the pandemic. Everybody was quarantining at home. So that meant liquor sales and wine sales went up. Everybody was at home, you know, sipping. So did that... <laughs> Did that benefit the Lorenzo's wine? Did you kind of see an uptick in the numbers when everybody was at the house? Yeah, man. I'm, I'm, you know, we, we get our numbers quarterly. So, you know, I guess at the end of this month, I'll know because I've done a couple of things. Like I said, you can, you can go to Teal Duck Enterprises and find the wine, or you can go to wildsidewinery.com. Wine, wine is called Lorenzo, my middle name and the double zeros. But we also, uh, I did a label change. So every... I think I've done a label change every year and I'm going to stick with the label I have on now. So for all those uh, wine drinkers, you know, you're going to see a different label, but this is the one I think I'm going to stick with. And I changed the label on the, uh, on the chart, on the Cabernet bottle, excuse me, the Cabernet, which is the Asian black bourbon barrel for over a year. That's the one uh, I have a different bottle for that one. So I'm kind of like making that my exclusive, my exclusive wine. Um, but you know, when it comes to, you know, giving back, you know, that's where I, I partnered up with, with Kentucky, uh, KCH, Kentucky Children's Hospital, you know, for the next six months to give them 50% of my profits, uh, wine sales. So for all those people listening, you know, uh, the sales, the profit is going to a unbelievable cause. You know, we're trying to help the first responders, uh, kids that are being sick right now that I was, was affected by COVID-19 and uh, just those people who just have, you know, everyday common colds that will be going throughout through the hospital when the fall season hit and, you know, we're doing something that's going to benefit a lot of people. And, you know, you have, you have nurses and, and doctors, you know, all the time that they sacrifice for us, you know, I want to make sure we do something positive for them. For sure. For sure. And I'm going to try that Cabernet, but we already talked about the sweet tooth, so I'm definitely fixing to get some <laughs> Riesling. You're going to get the Riesling, man. Yeah, you're going to go Riesling. You got to order some bottles of that Riesling, for sure. Yes, for sure. man. You got to get some Riesling, man. You got to get that in got to, got to get that in your system, man. And once you once you get in, you know, you definitely got to let me know uh, how you like it, you know, uh, the taste of it. Uh, and then, you know, we'll, we're going to make it happen from there. Because, you know, like I said, there's so many people that really enjoy wine and help relax the mind, but you know, you need that in, in your life sometimes. That's right. I'm going to get you to just reflect again, just maybe in a different way. I like asking different players these questions though, uh, just to get the their thoughts on it. The 
best athlete you played with at Kentucky? Ooh, the best athlete, man. I got to give it to, man, my frat brother. Uh, I think Roger Groves. Mm. I think Rod was ahead of his time. And Rod, Rod was one of those guys where he probably should have gone from high school to the pros. And being 6'7", had a nice handle, probably the best first step of anyone I've seen at the time. Uh, you know, could play, could guard four position, could play three positions. And just a special talent, man, that was probably ahead of his time and probably, you know, college, college didn't do him any good. I think he, he was he was a pro out of high school because of uh, playing for Coach Bobby Hurley and playing with Terry DeHair, uh, Bob <laughs> – Bobby Hurley, uh, Danny Hurley, is that, you know, and they played a, uh, a really tough schedule. You know, and they played against some of the best players in New York at the time. So that really made Rod just a, a special talent, man. You know, so Rod would probably go down as, as the best, the most athletic player that I played against and had so much talent, so much skill set. And, um, you know, it, it was it was tough to see Rod leave after three years, man. Cause, you know, that was my frat brother, you know, and he came in with Walter. Jared, uh, Rodney Dent. So he, he was a brother, man. And to see a brother leave and, and not you know, reach the pinnacle with us and win a championship, man, you know, he was like one of the first guys that probably called me and congratulated us, man, on win the championship. Because wow. he knew he should have been with us, you know, because yeah. he did three years with us and he decided, you know, for, you know to uh, transfer to another school and give it another shot, man. And he still got, you know, still got a chance to make it to the NBA, but I really think that he could have went straight from high school. Wow, yeah. Now, flipping it, who's the best athlete you played against while you were at Kentucky? Oh, man. I think, you know what? Uh, I didn't see him often. Um, James Blackman. And I only saw him for, the for like, a, I think my freshman summer or or my sophomore summer. So, in between him and Rex Chapman, those are the two that stand out. Like, Rex was um, – when I tell you somebody, man, like Rex jumping ability and shooting, he was the one guy that in the summertime that – he very seldom missed shots. So, if he was over – he had a mid-range game, he could shoot to three. You know it was a high flyer. So, when he would drive to the basket, like, you know, you get good luck. Good luck. <laughs> and if you try to if you try to to, to block his shot, he dunked on most mostly everyone. Mm-hmm. So there was no so nobody from from Walter to I don't care Kenny Kenny Skywalker. They were Rex got an open he had an open lane and he jumped. It was like good luck because you wasn't blocking his shot. And he just some some sometimes he would just drive hard and he would just like bring his arm back to get ready to dunk and he would just finger roll it in. You know what I'm saying? So so. <laughs> Just to let you know, just in case you thought about trying to come over and block his shot, he was like, "Don't." If you think about it, you know, I I could turn his ball over. He just finger roll the ball, and I was like, "Yeah, yeah." But I, but I got a chance to see Rex more than I saw James Black. I think I might have seen James on a couple occasions, but Rex, when I was seeing him in the summertime, I mean, Rex was Rex was special, man. Rex had something where, when I look at guys' game now, you know, just a, a great shooter, mid range three. Uh, coming off, coming off, uh, pin downs, mm-hmm. standstill, shooting off the bounce. We know we can finish at the basket. I mean, 
his game, you know, and I just saw I saw him a little bit in college, but NBA man, his game just went through the roof, man. You know, of course he had some injuries throughout his NBA career, but when I saw him in summertime, I was like, oh, that's a pro. But I was able to play against him and build confidence, you know, and saying to myself, like, okay, if I can play with him and he tell me things about my game that, you know, okay, I'm, I might have a chance to make it to the I – might, I might can make it to the next level too. Yeah, yeah, it's great how you, you know, go at each other like that. But still, you know, he can let you know what you need to do as you make your way. So, you know, passing it on down. Uh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, you know, when you think about, you know, those players like Kenny and Rex and Sam, man, just coming back, sharing knowledge with us, man. And, you know, we were young players at the time. And, and I, always, I learned from those guys that, you know, if I ever make it, that I'm going to come back and talk to, you know, the current players and even the players who I didn't know. Because, you know, we look up to guys like that, especially when they're good individuals. Like, I mean, had, had unbelievable hearts, man. There were was, was things that them dudes would do for us that probably was was a violation. But, you know, they understood the struggle, man. Like, like it was a struggle when you come – when you're poor, you know what I'm saying, and, and you don't have the, the things that other people have and you and you can't work to bring in any, any, you know, any extra income. So, you know, it, it was more about – you know, working even harder, man, to see what they what what they had in front of them and what they had financially, and knowing that all that came from just playing basketball, the game that I grew up loving. Exactly. Now, who was the? I mean, it's probably a big drop off after going at Rex and James Blackman and all those in the summer. But who was the best athletes that you you faced on other teams while at Kentucky? Hmm. Oh, I would say Dante Jones, Mississippi State, man. He was wow. an unbelievable athlete, man. Uh, you know, just was a score, um, you know, long and athletic. He could defend. He could have been a better defender. You know, he was really he really concentrated more on offense. You know, yeah. I know Dante, he's from Tennessee, a good friend of mine to this day. But uh, he was a, a NBA athlete. When you look at his size, you know, his build, is his, his jumping ability? Yeah, he was an NBA player, so he was probably one of the most athletic guys. Uh, along with, we call him. I played with him in Detroit. His name was McNice, but we call him. His name was McDice, Antonio McDice, but we called him McNice. Yeah, and that dude was unbelievable. When I say unbelievable, man, he dunked everything around the basket. Him and uh, and Jason Caffey, they actually played together at Alabama. So. Yeah. Those are two guys that stand out when I think about just six nine, six ten guys that were like really bouncing, bouncing. Especially just McDice, man. McDice was he was quick off the he was quick off the floor, man. Uh, so those you know, those three guys I can think of, um, you know, just from a superior athletic standpoint. And we, during that time we had so many great athletes in the SEC. And you you haven't played at a high level seen it all, done it all, and also coaching, you you definitely would know the difference. Because the first I ask you about the best athlete, who's the best player you played with at Kentucky and against? Because you know you be you know oh. between a player and an athlete. Not all athletes can play. So who's the best player you played with at Kentucky? Man, I mean, I mean, th- that's a knock against all of my dudes, man. I, I think all my dudes have played, but if okay. I have to – yeah. If I had to put name one guy, and 
I only played with him for one year was uh was Mash, man. Mash was good, man. Mash was a he was like a stretch four at that time because of his his build. He could put the ball on the floor. Uh he had a back to the basket game, mid range game, could shoot the three, take you off the dribble. Mash was man, Mash could do that thing. And it's hard, you know, uh we had so many great so many so many good players I played with, man, you know, and, and, and I got a chance just really because I had a really good seat when I was at Kentucky my first year on the bench. I was uh, <laughs> I got a chance to watch him a lot. <laughs> and so maybe maybe I saw Mass more than I saw the other guys. I was actually playing with them. But my freshman year, I got a chance to really watch Mass because I, I, I had a clipboard. And uh, so I really enjoyed the, the front row seat I had watching him play. <laughs> so it, it probably had to be Mass. Other guys I played with, man, so it really was – kind of hard to to really you know say what they were doing what they didn't do but when you actually watch a dude play man and just become a fan uh that's who i was i was a fan of mass for my freshman year <laughs> <laughs> that's right that's right but so I, I guess maybe i shouldn't have said player but most complete and that's that's kind of what you said when you described him the most complete player yeah all yeah, around you, you played with yeah uh what about most complete player you played against dante's the best athlete the best player you played against I can say. Uh, I really like – there was a guard by the name, and we actually had the same number, and he kind of reminded me of my game was uh, – I really like Daryl Wilson, Mississippi State. Uh-huh. And Daryl reminded me of me, just not as quite as athletic. Uh, he was a good defender, good shooter. Our games were so similar that it was scary that, you know, we – we face each other like I never really played well I had a great game against them and um you know a lot of it was that I was seeing myself playing against me and you know he kind of knew things that other people didn't know because he had he had a similar game so Daryl Wilson one of those guys that, that stand out to me that was a solid player he was uh and then he knew how to he use screens just as well as I use screens um but you know he, he would be the one player I said that stands out more than some other guys because, you know, I knew I was there for a battle when I faced him. You know, it wasn't going to be anything easy. Uh, he wasn't going to back down and similar to myself. Yeah, 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 that's cool. That's the name. That's a blast from the past right there. But, yeah, we – you oh, you our age, you remember Daryl. I'm sure. an OG, man. I'm an <laughs> OG in this game. <laughs> you can say it. <laughs> I'm, I'm right – look, I'll be 43 this year. I'm right behind you. I remember Daryl. <laughs> yeah. Good. What was your favorite city and arena in the NBA? Favorite city to visit, favorite arena to play in? Oh, um, I'm about to say Madison Square Garden. I think with all the stars and, you know, that's the mecca of basketball. So I enjoy playing in the garden. And there was something I loved about Phoenix. And I don't know if it was just the, the weather but it was just the sunshine. Like I like I felt like it was being it was in the desert, and you don't go to the desert often. But when you go to the desert, you just see all the sun. And it was just like open area, and it was different from coming from the south. You know, when you've been in the south your whole life, it was just a, a different different environment, different atmosphere. People were different, but you know, New York would be one, and I definitely enjoyed playing in Phoenix. You know, I think. Warm weather suited me suited me better. Even though I played with Golden State, our teams wasn't that good. Uh, Sacramento was fun. I had a, a, a one I had an exciting season with Sacramento. 
But when I left Sacramento, I wanted to go to Phoenix. And the reason why I wanted to go to Phoenix was um, during, in 1996, they used to have, they had, um, it was called the Desert, I think the Desert Classic. So Desert Classic invited all the top seniors out there. So that was when I first went to Phoenix and fell in love with Phoenix. I was like, man, if I ever get a chance, I'm going to play out here. And when I left Sacramento as a free agent, I signed with Phoenix because of uh, when I went out doing the Desert Classic, I had so much fun. And it was just a city that I was like, man, I can see myself living here. And it's one of those cities that, you know, I could move, I could move to in, in a heartbeat. Yeah. I mentioned back on the first episode uh, when Jeff Powell was the winner, one of the clues was that you played in all 82 games in the 0102 season. How did the body feel? I mean, sure, you're young and in shape, but playing all 82, logging minutes, back-to-backs, with no load management back then, how did the body feel <laughs> after 82 games? Just finish that up. You know what? I'm telling you, man, my, my body felt phenomenal. And – that's, that's, that's when I knew I was tailor-made for warm weather because it was the only season I played all 82 games. And when I got to got to Boston, you know, it's like your body responds differently to at least my body. I can't speak to everybody about it. My body responds differently to, to warm weather. Like, I'm fine in warm weather. Like, like I, I thrive in warm weather. Warm weather. It's one of the reasons why I, I, uh, I, have, I haven't – haven't even thought about migrating to any cities that any northeast cities in the north, anywhere where it's cold. I only think I would take a job there. I mean, that's how I feel about it. You know, it would have to be a job paying me a lot of money for me to leave and go somewhere where it's cold. Absolutely not. So I just like the warm weather. Plus, they had a really good training staff that kept all of us healthy too. And not to say the other training staff at the other teams wasn't as good, but they just had something. It was, it was something in the water. It was just a the trainer knew what he was doing. And, you know, even coming back that second season before I got traded into Boston of all places, uh, you know, <laughs> I was on pace. I was having another good season. I was like, man, I love it out here. And plus when I left Sacramento, I went to go play with Jason Kidd. So I didn't have to worry about, you know, the point guard responsibility. I can just do what I've always done and that is be a score. Exactly. Now, you know, we all here – as fans watching the broadcast and you heard players, players say it, coaches say it, when you get to the playoffs, everything slows down. Now, is that because of the scouting or is that because, you know, hey, we just played 80 games in a preseason or is it just because we know the other team so well that the pace slows down and it's not as much up and down in the playoffs? Why is that? I, I think the, the, the pace slows down, but like you said, you know, they really know your sets. They know your, your tendencies. And another thing about it is that, you know, you get a chance really to watch what a team does and you're going to see them, you know, they're going to be your next game and your next game. So you got to win a series. It's not like when you're going through the regular season and you see some of these, you know, you might play Toronto tonight, you might play Minnesota, you might play Detroit, you know, you always play different teams, so it's a different scout report. But when when you're in a series, is that you know exactly what's going to happen. Like, you know, you might uh, the series might come down to a couple of plays in the half court because they're going to eventually take your transition buckets away from you. But once you take transition away, then you have to execute in a half court. And when I went to the playoff my first year as a rookie 
and we played the Knicks, man, it was a whole nother level of intensity that I was not prepared for. Like, I knew the NCAA was was high octane, but this level of intensity, and at first, I think the first two games were, were at Madison Square Garden playing in front of the Knicks fans, and oh my God, I was not, I was nowhere near prepared for, for that. Mm-hmm. You can't can't get a grasp of it till you go through it, huh? Yeah, you got you got you got to live it, man. So the next time I, was, you know, when the playoff came around, I was prepared for it, you know. But I think that first time as a rookie, and really being thrown out there because I started in the playoff, I, so I wasn't. I went from I think that year, Muggsy Bogues was our starting guard, and he had gotten hurt, and. Our other backup guard, uh, forget who that was, he was out. So they had myself and Tony Smith. So Tony Smith was my backup. So I started in the playoff, man, which was crazy <laughs> that, um, you know, uh, we end up, you know, we, of course, you know, they end up sweeping us, but uh, I got a chance to get some of that, some of that intensity. And I was prepared from that, from that day on. I, you know, I always said, I'll be ready the next time. Like, I, I wasn't, you won't catch me twice sleeping. Exactly. Now you right there, a hop and a jump from Atlanta. I know we are Kentucky and bleed blue, but got to talk about this Tar Heel with Vincenity calling it a career. Is that the most athletic dude you saw at the NBA level, or or just your thoughts on Vince? Oh, man, Vince was man. Vince, Vince is he was spectacular on the court, man. Vince with his dunks and just his athleticism was, you know. It, when they say elite, like like he had elite athleticism, and just to be able to change his game, you know, probably at the the midway point, let you know, you know, what kind of mindset he had is that it's hard to be that level of an athlete and not fall from grace, not fall from the mountain, because when you when you when you play the high above the rim, it's that only place you can play is on the floor. That's it. Like, there's no in-between. But what he did was he found the in-between game that most people don't have, you know, and that was, okay, I got to rely on my shooting, my low post game. But, no, you know what, as athleticism started leaving him, you know, he, he went to other parts of his game, you know, which some players can't do. Once their athleticism is gone, their game is done. There's no more them coming back. It's like, I'm going to watch now. Like, I – I'm never going to be the same player again. And he really taught himself, you know, how to transition from being a, a an elite-level athlete to now I can be a role player. So you talking about going from being a, a superstar to the end of, at the end of his career, he was more of a role player slash coach. And it's hard when, when you've been the guy to now all of a sudden, you know, you're not the guy. Yeah. And he did do that real smooth. He sure did. Man, um, I've seen you on these Zooms, TD. You know, see you, like you said, you're on SEC Network, NBA TV, still in great shape. You talk about being an OG. Did the idea of, of playing in Ice Cube's Big Three ever cross your mind? I mean, Chris Jackson, Catino Mobley, and those guys still out there. Yeah. Did that cross your mind? It did, man. I'm, I'm gonna tell you, I went out. I did it. I did it. I was getting in shape for it last year. Went out and and worked out and felt real good. Um, but you know, I know people always say it's politics. You, you really got to know somebody on some of these teams. And 
even though I went out and I played, I thought I thought I played well enough, you know, to possibly be on the big three team. Is that I didn't know I didn't know I wasn't great friend with the captains on the team because they're the ones that pick the team. So let's say if, if I was a team captain, I'm going to pick up my homeboy or somebody I played with, somebody I knew, and at the time they only had so many slots that was available. But you know it, it was a it was good seeing like a lot of the guys, you know. But I felt I was in good shape. Uh, I would have done some things differently because I didn't know exactly what the camp it was. It was only like a one day like three hour, three hour showcase, you know, so I didn't know what, you know, what, what to expect out of it because if I'd have gone like maybe two years ago, I think I, I know I would have made it because I was in much, you know, I was in much better shape. I was still playing. So that whole week leading up to it, I was just getting myself in shape. I was like, man, I'm, I'm going to try this out. And I went out and, um, you know, like I said, I thought I'd play, I'd play well enough, but, you know, they didn't select me, which I was cool with it because I was like, man, I don't need, I don't know what I would have done if I got picked because now, you know, I was I was in between trying to find a job and out of it trying to play, trying to perform. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it worked itself out, man. I think God always has a plan for us. And, you know, when the, when the league first started, I was with the network. And that would have been a great time to go because they really was trying to get guys to come over. And at that time, they didn't have as many people going out. So – you know, once they got a few, you know, a couple of years on their belt and they was paying money, you started having a lot more guys that, that you know, that would come out. But also, I think, you know, they had, they also had some overseas guys. You know, it, it was, to me, the combination of you're trying to get pros is that I thought the pros should have been probably working out together and performing because that was a crop of guys you were going to choose from. But to mix me in with some, some overseas, some college guys, some, there was one guy that was funny. The gym I was training at, you know, he was one of the trainers in the gym. I'm like, how how did you get an invite? You know what I'm saying? I thought it was been former NBA players, and I don't know where he played. I didn't know where he played college ball at. Uh, he didn't play on no professional team. So I wanted to find out where, what criteria really were you looking for? Or you just needed some bodies there, you know. But I, I thought it was, uh, you know, it should have been a little bit more organized from that standpoint of having the NBA guys, former NBA guys playing against one another. And then maybe you're, you know, you might, even though, you know, your overseas guys, because some of those guys can play on the next level, is that you probably could have taken two or three of those guys and still kept it where it was mostly NBA guys. But, you know, hey, I'm not the director. I'm not the organizer. So that's right. just my suggestion. Right. And maybe they'll consider that going forward. You never know. Call Tony Delk. Exactly. Believe it, believe it Kentucky, if you're listening right now, B and I got a great idea for the big three going forward is they have a training camp. Come on, Cube. Pick <laughs> up the phone. Man, you got drafted by Charlotte. We never talked about food. I don't know what you like, what you don't like, but I love Charlotte, and I'm just got to ask, did you, in your time in Charlotte, get you some soul food from Mertz? Uh, you know what? There was another soul food place I can't think of there that was kind of uh, wasn't original. But, you know, here's the thing about soul food. No one is going to cook soul food better than your mom. So whether I had it, it wasn't going to be like my mom. So, you know, I went different places and tried soul food. I'm like, man, mom still winning. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> well, no touch your mom when it came to that soul food. That, that's what, that's what she did every day. That was her, that was her, uh, that was her main, main, uh, main course meal all the time. So it, it's hard to cook something and be a professional at it when, 
the person who you live with, you know, they they've done it their whole life. Mama Delk set the standard. That bar yes, she did. <laughs> you already know. <laughs> Man, Tony, we have fun each and every time. I got one quick message from a, a listener that's checked out the podcast. I got a almost forgot to mention it. Maureen sent a message on Twitter. She said she had been doing some traveling, had been in the car for a while. And uh, y'all can tweet us at TLDelk00 and tweet me at Vinny Hardy, Vinny with a Y, Hardy with a Y. She says, thanks for keeping my drive entertaining. And she listened to a lot of different podcasts, I guess, on her trip. And she said, and listening to you and Tony has been my favorite. She said, double zero is true blue. Oh, tell her we, we, we love that. We love that. Thank you. Keep listening to us. We're going to keep sharing these stories with you. We're going to keep letting people know what's going on, uh, not only in the state of Kentucky, but throughout the country right now, because this country is faced with a lot, some crises. But you know what? As a country, we don't get through this. Exactly. We definitely are. Appreciate people taking time to relax and unwind by listening to us chop it up as they get through it. So, Thanks to Maureen and everybody else. And, and thanks, as always, to you, TD, man. And Anytime, man. It, it, it can't happen without my man V hosting and making it happen. Hey, doing my best, man. Hey, I had to I had to pour out, pour one out for my laptop last week. So I'm, I'm on a new MacBook Pro. So hopefully we won't have no more <laughs> technical difficulties. Hey, 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 we did have a lot of issues last week, man. I, I, didn't, I didn't want to say anything, oh. but I'm like, man... I said, I he he, he got to get off his kid's computer. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I got to do better than this, boy. This is a, this is a mess up in here last Friday, boy. So we uh, <laughs> got to correct that. So we uh, I'm I'm trying out all the bells and whistles on this brand new one. And, and so far, so good, man. So we, we are. All right. Okay, then. <laughs> <laughs> Have a good weekend. See you, man. Take, and take care, everyone. Hey, next time. All right, hey, y'all check us out. Believe in Kentucky from Tony Depp. This is Vinny Hardy. We'll see y'all on the next episode. Believe in Kentucky, Believe Podcast Network. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.